Well, hey, here we are. Only two ways to handle a sandwich. You eat it or you don't. You can bury it under a tree, share it with a stranger, or eat it. That's it. Other way. Why am I bringing up sandwiches? I don't know. It's Friday right now as I record this, and I'm about to go on a bicycle ride, and I'm kind of hungry, so I'm thinking about sandwiches, and in no way, shape, or form am I going to not eat that sandwich. Oh, I'm eating that sandwich. I'm Andrew, and this is the Raised by Whoops Fake Radio Show, and I got a story for you. It's not about sandwiches. It's about an ice bucket. I'll tell you about it later. But first, I want to say thank you for being here at all. It means a lot. And your comments, your feedback, your review, all that sort of stuff, those are nice. So feel free, if you have not done, to give one of those a review, a comment, an idea, or share a story that you've written and you want us to tell. Or you can tell it yourself. If you can get a decent recording of your own voice telling the story, we'll put it on the show, as long as it's not racist or mean or, I don't know, shitty. We're glad you're here. And I'm going to get right to this story. So enjoy it. I call it Note to Shelf. See you next time. In my childhood home, a fairly magical piece of furniture occupied one side of the living room. A bar. It was a period piece, complete with all the trappings of the late 70s and early 80s aesthetic. Amber toned glass, polished wood veneer, a plush and pleated faux leather bar rail, and of course, a matching ice bucket. That bucket was my North Star. It was squat, brown, and leather-bound, with an inset lid which featured a polished mahogany knob in the center and a hard plastic coating on the underside of the lid. The interior of the bucket was lined with the same white plastic, so it never leaked and melting ice never wet the bar top or the legs of anyone's polyester slacks. It was also a sturdy yet stylish pair of silver tongs for keeping our greasy biscuit hooks out of the ice. My interest in it, however, had nothing to do with needing a cold beverage. In fact, I approached it expecting it to be mostly empty. I came for the aroma of the thing, to marvel at its symmetry and maybe roll it around a little. At the age of four, I was told by my father, on numerous occasions and in no uncertain terms, not to touch it. The bar itself was somewhat off-limits to the kids in general, but fooling around with the ice bucket was particularly verboten. Looking back now, I get it. Kids are gross and ice buckets are meant not to be. Dad was blind in one eye and would tell me that his one good eye was particularly good, and he'd be watching me. But Dad wasn't around. He wouldn't be coming back for a while, I guessed because he and mom were tired of fighting and he got his own place in another part of town. It was just me in the bar now, and soon enough, it would be just me in the bucket. I like putting things inside of it that didn't belong. G.I. Joe men, Star Wars figurines, and a small toy pistol were frequently stored in there. I would occasionally bring a few of my imaginary friends along. The Munsties, I called them. The Munsties were a colony of tiny blue beings who lived in the corner of my room. My toys were like giant moving sculptures to them, and I would leave a few around for them when I had to go out. They counted on me for food and for adventures. They had real-life enemies, the small red bugs living on the air conditioning unit outside my room. On a side note, I didn't realize those little bugs were called chiggers until I was an adult living in New York City. 
All my life I'd been under the impression that a chigger was a southern placeholder word for insect bites or itching of unknown origin. In any case, the Munsties, and what I now realize were actual chiggers, were locked in a territorial feud for control over the verdant valley of my bedroom floor. On this particular voyage to the ice bucket, there were no Munsties, no G.I. Joes or any toys at all. It was just me and my nose. I'd taken to sniffing things almost compulsively. I sniffed everything I could, the drawers in the refrigerator, the dirt under stones and logs, the inside of a toolbox in the garage, or that part of the seat belt where it lives, coiled up and ready to stretch out when you're not buckled up. These aromas were curious to me, as if I'd just discovered that sense in my small body and felt its power for the first time. Every cabinet in the house had its own bouquet, depending on its function. I could smell water and wood in the small bathroom cabinet where we kept the toilet paper and the plunger, and would occasionally empty it and clean it with hand soap. Each of the kitchen cabinets was different. One smelled like vitamins and plastic pill containers. Another smelled like dish soap and glass, while others flooded my senses with pepper, lemon, sage, and oregano, or cereal, cardboard, pop-tarts, and potatoes. Behind the bar, the smell of a stain from a dropped maraschino cherry would mix with the lingering scotch whiskey at the bottom of a bottle cap. I would rhythmically tap my fingers on the empty tin box which previously housed a bottle of Chivas Regal and would delight and luxuriate in the tones, aromas, and sheer rule-breaking madness of being back there at all. And of course, there was the ice bucket. My relationship with the bucket had transitioned from being an exciting yet off-limits container to a fairly sophisticated appreciation of its beauty, a beauty both material and aromatic. Just sitting under the bar on a shelf, the thing looked full of potential like a Frank Lloyd Wright home. Simple, stylish, beautiful, functional, yet artfully crafted. The brown leather exterior was taut, textured, and almost seamless. I tried to work out how it was done, following the stitching down one side to where it met the bottom. The material seemed to be molded to the plastic shell of the bucket's interior and delicately sewn together on one side. The lid was its own masterpiece, as I couldn't find a single stitch on the thing. The leather simply vanished after being tucked under the white plastic of the lid. A solitary stainless steel screw joined the plastic plate to the mahogany knob on top. My love for the contraption, while complex and more than just aromatic, did tend to focus on the olfactory. I would take long pulls of its woody and smoky perfume. With the lid off, the unmistakables of water and clean plastic would sit up high above the base notes of tobacco, wood, and warm leather. I would close the top and open it again, just to hear the deeply satisfying sound of the leathery pop and the accompanying whoosh of air. After a spell of sniffing and popping the lid, I would lay the bucket on its side and roll it under my hands, noting the difference in texture between my fingertips and my palms. The pair of silver tongs would rattle inside the bucket, like loose wire under a snare drum, slapped and played back in slow motion. On this visit, I approached the bucket, excited to take my time with it. No dad around to shut me down or catch me meddling with the precious artifact. I could even take it down from the shelf and look at it in better light, and considered bringing the empty Chivas box with me to tap on a little. I rounded the corner of the bar, and there it was. Squat. Round. Perfect. The bar smells waved at me like a siren to a sailor. My small hands grasped the sides of the bucket, lifting it from the shelf, then lowering it to the floor. I was eager to open it, to get a whiff of its dusky yet futuristic scent. 
The lid came off with the expected and delightful pop, whoosh, and release of aroma. But once inside, my eye was met with something I did not expect. The usual sparkling silver of the tongs was muted by an object quite out of place. It was a small bit of paper, folded over and tucked between the two heads of the tongs. Intrigued, I plucked the paper from the grip, making note of the forethought it took to fold this paper to the exact size which would allow the tongs to hold it just so. I was verbal, but not able to read. I knew my alphabet, but not what the letters meant when combined. The creator of this note was clearly aware of that fact, as well as several other salient facts. For one, the note's author knew his audience. He also knew the impact the note would have on said audience, and that this audience would, for sure, at some point find this note. The note had to communicate a fairly simple point, but without the benefit of the written word, like a silent movie, using body language instead of speech. This note used very specific imagery to communicate something which words alone could not. I gently unfolded the piece of paper, taking a brief whiff of the easily recognizable fine cardstock from my father's office, and the waxy notes of red crayon, borrowed no doubt from my sister. I knew what it was before I even got it open all the way. It was a large, simple red face, with a furious and frowning expression. One of the eyes was drawn on the huge side, while the other was represented by a smaller, yet meaningful, X. Incredibly, even the X seemed angry to find me there. I got the message. Carefully, I refolded the paper, tucked it back into the tongs, placed them as best I could, roughly how I found them in the bucket, enjoying one last pop of the lid as it landed perfectly back into its home, then placed the holy object on the fragrant bar shelf. Later that evening, the Munsties had a community-wide laugh when I told them what happened. Kelly the king of the ball. Take time, buddy. Got to teach him how to kill a kid. You know, Sister Kate took Brother Mo, bounced him around across the floor, trying to kill a kid. Trying to learn him how to kill a kid. Sit down, honey. Take a shot of this paint. Kelly, if you had a regular to kick this giant, he gonna kill a kid. Take the floor and kill a kid. You can kick it in the country won't cost a dime If you get in town as a $40 fine You kill it, yeah Take it easy when you kill it, yeah You know, Papa got a Cadillac Mama got a Buick and Sister got mad because she couldn't do it She want to kill it, yeah Take it easy when you kill it, yeah Thanks for tuning in to the Raised by Whoops fake radio show This is Glenn Both Andrew and I are grateful for your time and attention If you enjoyed that story We'd appreciate if you could tell your friends, family, or even a few strangers about the show. Additionally, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. If you have a short story you'd like us to tell, or even some music you'd like to share, you can reach out via the website, raisedbywhoops.com. We're glad to have you with us. Till next time, thanks. Take care. All you got to dodge your mark, dodge your ball. Get out of town if you gonna dodge the law, so you can kill it, kid. Go to the country and kill it, kid. Sit on at that corner, gal, make some toddy, cause we gonna get high and drunk, everybody, and kill it, kid.
take time to kill it, kid. Because if you don't believe I'll swing you right, take me to your castle and let's swing it all night. Kick it, kid. Midnight will kill it, kid. Play that thing. Twizzle like a tadpole, wobble like a frog. Every time you kick it, you'll holler, hot dog, kill it, kid. Take it easy when you're...